SBS Radio. I'm Kerry Lee Hardy and thanks so much for your company right here on NITV Radio on this Wednesday afternoon. Now to our first story of the day and to content brought to us by the NITV's Living Black program. And the presenter of Living Black program sat down with the iconic singer-songwriter Emma Donovan. Emma has been performing since the age of seven and since then she has performed her very unique blend of song music that has made waves worldwide. Living Black's Carly Grant travelled to Melbourne and spoke to Emma about what inspires her to create such soulful and beautiful music. You've been involved in music for most of your life. Can you remember the first time that you sang in public and really enjoyed it? I've got footage of me singing at an auntie's wedding, an uncle's wedding when I was about six, but I kind of can't remember that. I think like publicly, um, it would have been like some Tenworth Country Music Festival um, talent quest, you know, that my mum would have entered me in and I, I would have been decked out, you know, Carla. Um, mum went to town on, you know, these cowgirl outfits, you know, the hat, everything down to the boots. Well, there's no exceptions to the rule. Never nobody's and what song was it that your mum asked you to sing? Uh, <laughs> I remember doing lots of Loretta Lynn. Um, I was always singing like, you know, You're Looking At Country. That was one of the songs I remember, like a couple of Temi Wynette songs. Um, I always make a joke now and say, you know, like I was under, you know, 15 or 16, I knew about all these Timmy Wynette and Loretta Lynn backlog and half of them songs are about, you know, divorce and um, <laughs> I don't want to play house. Like, you know, pretty heavy songs for like for a young, know, a young girl. six or seven year old to be singing. Yeah, but mum used to call me her black Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> and so what does that experience mean to you? Oh, look, I love it, you know, and I, and I think the older I get, um, the more I'm just, you know, I'm listening to them old songs. I'm playing them. I'm playing my, you know, D-I-V-O-R-C, like, you know, songs with pride. Like, they're the songs that got me started, you know, and I want my, it's funny, I want my kids to learn these songs, you know. This is all the repertoire I had. Your mum was a Goombangia woman from the mid-coast of New South Wales and your dad's side come from the west. Tell us about your mob. Oh, so um, this, I guess, the music side comes from, you know, the Donovan side. Mum's mother, she was from Burnt Bridge Mission in, in Kempsey. And um, this beautiful story, like this love story between her and my grandfather. So our grandparents were singers and they um, both had pretty voices and my grandfather sang. Um, I tell everybody that I'm this spoiled, like, first granddaughter that come along. You know, I had the uncles playing all the music and I had my mum, you know, singing with Nan and Pop. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much um, born into it, Carla. How has that shaped your life? It means everything for me, you know, coming from these two um, to three, you know, big Aboriginal families. I'm a proud Aboriginal woman. You know, I come from, um, you know, a single Aboriginal woman who's, who raised me, my mother, and her, her mother and father. And I think that's everything you know, about me and, you know, where I want to be and where, where I want my music to go and be placed now. Um, I have my own children now, so um, there's lots for me to pass on um, that I've learnt musically, um, culturally through, my, through music in, in our family. 
Now, the major influence in your life, as you've just spoken about, of course, is the your musical family, the Donovans. Tell us all about the Donovans. I think because of lockdown and everything, we hadn't seen each other for a while. The first thing we do is, you know, organise, you know, a feed and a sing. Like, and it's just typical of the Donovan, you know, kind of tradition. Um, no, I love that. I love that my kids are immersed in that. Um, you know, that's how I was growing up, you know, hearing uncles play guitar. Um, yeah, my little ones get to hear all their poppies play the guitar now, you know. And I, we were all giggling and laughing the other week because my, my daughter had, you know, she'd claim like the little uke and she was sitting on her own just strumming. I love that because I already, I know, I'm in the right place and I'm, I'm doing the right things for my kids. Now, it's said that you sing like your grandmother, that you have your grandmother's voice, is that right? I wonder whoever, um, yeah, said that, you know, like I like to say that I, um, that's because that's a huge compliment for me. Um, it was Nan's voice, I guess, the most that I heard over all the family because there were so many, you know, sons and my pop had this, you know, beautiful little soft voice. Nan was really vocal, whether she sung or not, like even if she was just yarning, she'd always be yelling out. Were your grandparents a, a huge inspiration um, to you as, as a performer? Yeah, of course. I think more now as I'm kind of you know, like steering, even like towards songwriting. I feel like maybe my grandfather's songs and some of the songs that he wrote, you know, they're my influences. Just his simple way that he would write, you know, from chords to lyrics, like, I just feel like I can kind of, um, you know, be comfortable and if I'm, you know, if I stick to that kind of style or if I, you know, things get too hard and I try and get too flash, I'm just like, nah, just bring it back, M's like, you just need to, you know, you're saying too much or you, you're doing too much. So how did you get from that young girl singing at a wedding to a teenager with a taste for singing and performing? Mum, it was mum. She just, you know, she knew I had a voice. I was a shy kid too. I said this the other day and everyone's like, nah, you're not shy. <laughs> you couldn't shy. have been shy. <laughs> I said, trust me, like, I, you know, I was a shy kid, had big hair, big afro, I used to wear lots of jumpers, never would show my skin. I was just a shy girl. But then mum, she'd, you know, want me to sing all the time. Oh, you know, when you'd have visitors or family would come down from the coast or Nan would even visit. Here, sing a song for Nan. Sing a song for your mum. And I'd be like, oh, um, your grandmother. I'd be like, mum. And, you know, that I'd be, you know, yelling and carrying on. So how did you get from being Emma Counselor performing with the Donovan family to being Emma Donovan performing on your own? I've thought a lot about this, you know, and it takes me back to... Um, you know, gigs that my uncle's done and that platform that was already there, you know, was already there for me. Um, and this is why I don't take any of this time um, that I have now, you know, for gigs or anything for granted, Carla, because if it wasn't for my grandparents, I wouldn't have had these relationships already to be called on stage. Now, at the age of 16, you were enrolled in contemporary music at the Eora College for Performing Arts uh, in Chippendale in Sydney to learn the ropes. Just tell us about that experience and about that time, you know, young girl going to Eora College. Well, even just going to the city for the first time because I'd come from, you know, the south coast or um, the country. So I asked mum, could I enrol in this course? And um, I even remember saying, you know, at the Tony Mundine Hostel, so I was just, you know, like, just finding my way and, you know, trying to meet mob and being in, this, being in the big city for me, you know. What did that time at Eora give you? What did you learn from that experience? Um, I guess more like just 
learning about myself, like musically, like what I liked and what I, um, you know, other things outside the family and the country scene, like what I, yeah, just kind of like let myself go. And I had that experience with two other Aboriginal women. And I remember Nadi was, she was, huge fan of titters and I, I didn't really know titters that well to be honest but it was around the time actually they were ready to finish up and you know, they did a couple of their performances you know as their last tour so I remember just like hanging out and you know like learning learning their stuff and um, yeah I guess um, slowly finding out more about what I wanted to do. So I guess your big break came at the age of 18 when you formed the Stiff Gins with Nadi and Kalina. What was that time like? Oh, it was, you know, it was the um, first time I'd recorded music by then. I felt, you know, I had these other two Aboriginal women by my side. Um, we were, you know, having these experiences and we were writing them about them as friends and very memorable time. Yeah, it was learning for me, like learning how to work with a producer or um, learning to record and write stuff even and, you know, make demos and just a, a beautiful time for me to make good connections, yeah. Now, when you were with Stiff Gins, what was the point you were making as young singers, do you think? I guess it was like a lot around our friendship and exploring each other's vocals. We were all like vocally really different. Even using the word stiff gins, you know, um, was a derogatory term for Aboriginal woman. So I remember a few comments, like even in the community, were like, you know, some of the older ladies, like, what are you, you know, what's this all about? What are you mob doing? It was to change people's, like, point of view, really, with the name, you know, and trying to turn a negative into a positive. Did you expect the reaction that you got um, to the name stiff gins? I knew, in a way, there was something like coming because um, my mum, my nan, you know, she was always she was always called a, a gin. Nan kind of pulled me up too, and she was like, "Yeah, we had that yarn and conversation at the time. This is a big thing to kind of take on." Because you really co-opted that word and and you know really sort of turned it around. I guess the meaning and and took control of it. Yeah, and is that's that right? what we wanted. Yeah, and that's what we wanted. And I think in the end, like, you know, even to this day, like, there's a lot of respect for for the band name. And I'm happy that, you know, to see, you know, Nadine Kalina Wool Stiftins, you know, continue that journey. Um, I even remember, like, when we were yarning about, like, if one of us ever left, you know, let's still keep that name, you know. That was the very first part of an interview there with Living Black's host Carla Grant speaking to Emma Donovan. And we will be back with the second part of the interview coming up very soon. You're listening to NITV Radio and I'm Carolee Harding. Thanks for your company on this Wednesday afternoon. Now we head back to Melbourne where Living Black's Carla Grant spoke to Emma Donovan. Stiff Jeans was an award-winning, you know, band and you were very very successful but what inspired you to actually go solo after you know a couple of years with the band so I just wanted to explore you know other styles like at the time I was more into reggae and you know soul and R&B and I just um too stubborn to do both at the time I think now I'd join you know a few different band outfits at one time but when you're young it's like you know you're just kind of like <laughs> trying to do one focus on one thing you released your first solo album, Changes, in 2004. 
what was that album about? What was that experience like, I guess, releasing your own solo album and, and how were you changing? I guess um, I was excited because I, you know, had gone for my own funding, you know, with, and I, I'm thinking back on, you know, that was 2004. So it was like the first time I've had to, you know, think about what songs I was going to write or um, who was I going to get to produce um, my album and who was I going to get to play on it. And it was all of them decisions that were all, you know, just in my lap. So I felt a little bit growing up and I was like, okay, I've got to get this right. Um, um, Uncle Bobby McLeod, bless him, he took me under his wings, like just roughly after I left um, Stiff Chins. And he's like, you're going to do, you know, you're going to do this. And he was actually pointing to me, like, you're going to do this, you're going to work with that, you're going to... I'm like, Unc, slow down. But yeah, like I had some really good people around me to support me. In 2007, you were invited to join the Black Arm Band. Uh, again, another deadly band title. What was the story behind this band's name? Oh, Black Arm Band. So I started off as an um, arts project that came out of Melbourne um, for the Arts House and the name Black Arm Band was a response to Howard at the time, John Howard, about, you know, when he made a statement saying that this country is not going to wear, you know, a black armband for its history. And so that was our response as a, as a band, a political response and movement. I feel like this time now is where I just went, okay, you can't be, not be in a room with these artists and not um, pay attention or not um, learn anything. Like, I had good guidance, only, only Lou Bennett from Titters then introduced herself to me. She was part of the, the Black Arm Band vocal, vocal team at the time, then, then went on to be the artistic director. I just learned so much. There was like nearly 30 of us when we'd be on tour. This was like my training ground. Like there were huge productions, seeing people like Uncle Archie Roach in these rehearsals and just seeing the way they worked and played um, and sung. Seeing those iconic songs as well, did that teach you a lot about, you know, our own history, I guess? Yeah. There were songs like um, From Little Things, Big Things Grow that I thought I knew, but I didn't know well until, you know, I had to learn like 10 verses of it. Um, massive song, you know, and so in a band like Black Arm Band, you'd learn the history of these songs, but you'd go to that community and you'd have the opportunity to be at Wadi Creek where that history and that song took place. Like, yeah, I couldn't, you know, and the other things I felt just so spoiled, like, you know, we're doing productions where there was over 19 languages, spoken Aboriginal languages in one show. So then you got mob yelling out in Gugi Alanji, Yora Yora, Yongomata. It's like the, the, the tours were crazy. The time of my life. So was this about the time when you began to write songs in, in your own language? Yeah, there was a couple of EPs I had then released. And I was a little bit more confident with um, different producers and people. I guess I had a go at like going, okay, I like the sound of that album. I had the confidence to say to myself, I want to work with that producer who produced that. And I started looking around. And I think um, you know, when I started doing that, it was just more confidence I had about myself. One of your extraordinary achievements has been to, you know, use your own Gumbangia language in your songs. What did it mean to you to, to learn your own language? It's funny, like, when I was growing up, I didn't know the difference between Dangari and Gumbanga. I heard, because Nan was married in the Gumbanga, 
And to be honest, I used to say, Mum, isn't Nan, like I'd get confused. Like who's going to bang her out of Nan and Pop, you know? And I had all these questions. And then that's when Mum started teaching me, you know, and Nan's dangari. she just been married into that family. And you know what it's like when mob marry into each other, we just, you know, become pretty much, you know, Umbanga. What did it mean to you to write and, and sing in your own language? I love it. Um, it means a lot to me. You know, I always say language doesn't belong to me. It belongs to our community. And if mob outside our community want to celebrate that, the rest of this nation, you know, they should, because they're, the, you know, the, it's, the, it's the voice and it's the language of, of us mob. It's, it's, you know, we should all be learning and celebrating songs in our language. There's a few things I don't understand about how we These days you're, you're living in Melbourne and you're part of the, the band Putbacks. Can you tell us what that name means? <laughs> Everybody asks what uh, the Putbacks are. Um, it, it, it comes from a basketball look and I don't know nothing about basketball, right? Grew up in, with rugby league football. Um, I heard it was an illegal bounce back. I could be wrong um, when, you push the, when you put the ball back in after it's come off the board. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I have no idea. <laughs> Don't ask me. I'm but not all a basketball I know is that person either. <laughs> the putbacks listen and watch a lot of basketball on tour and at gigs. You know when when that season starts. But yeah, you know if the aunties like oh, I love you and the pushbacks, my baby. Oh yeah, the, <laughs> the you know pushbacks. I'm like ah, it's the putbacks. <laughs> Where did that That's name come from? What <laughs> <laughs> Uh, would you say that you're heading in, in a different musical direction you know, these days? And um, how does soul and R&B from the 60s and 70s speak to you today? So the bass player and the uh, drummer, Rory McDougall and Michael Ma, they were the rhythm section that I toured with from the Black Arm Band. I started learning more about different styles, all of that funk and soul, you know, um, I probably knew your standard soul singers, but you know, nothing like, you know, some of the artists that I've been introduced to through the putback. So yeah, I think it's a beautiful fit. I think it and and, and it's not just about the music, I think it's the relationships. Like yeah, I've known most of the putbacks now, you know, since two thousand six. So it's just um yeah, a solid relationship but and a, and a safe space for me to continue just being who, whoever it is and writing whatever it is I want to write. Now, over the last couple of years, you've, um, you've been very prolific, uh, releasing two albums, Crossover and Under These Streets. What inspired the songs on those albums? Most of it comes from my girls and um, my time with them. I guess, like, being a single mum, like, in the industry and balancing that whole thing, um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of understanding for, you know, for someone to get me out the door to do a gig, you know, when I've got two little ones to think of. Um, and I guess, you know, when I'm writing and when I'm... Um, I don't try and, you know, write about certain things. I just, like, you know, naturally always write. It helps me as a, as a, as a person. And, uh, of course, you know, your cousin is, is Casey Donovan. Have you two ever thought of, you know, doing a collaboration together? 
We haven't, but I reckon we got a few songs to, you know, work out, especially from the family, you know. I've always loved Casey's voice and her journey, I guess. She didn't grow up close to the family. She grew up more closer to her, her mum's side. But yeah, I've always been proud and admired her for finding that journey, you know, and her musical, you know, talent. When do you think we can expect this collaboration to happen? <laughs> I'm not sure, but most of the Donovans, um, we're working on some of my grandfather's songs. Um, so a lot of his songs were held by the family, but we found like a big reel um, down at the um, Canberra National Library. Jessie Lloyd was, you know, looking around for some of her collection of mission songs and she rang me and she's like, who are you to Mikko Donovan? And I was like, that's pop. And then she's um, shared with me some of these songs, but just this tape of all of my grandfather's songs. So we're going to present them as a family soon and hopefully, yeah, get them out into the world. You know, there were songs written from the 70s. Emma, I was interested to learn that you're an ambassador for Hearing Australia these days. Can you tell us about that? I'm really proud mother of two children. And when I gave birth to my second daughter, she had some hearing problems. And it was really scary and some of the experiences that I had, you know, for her hearing journey, um, yeah, has just, you know, has been a crazy one and um, was approached by Hearing Australia. It was really kind of just fell into that role um, and I, you know, go off talking about my experiences that I've had with my daughter but, you know, more importantly just, you know, helping get that message out. Um, Luke Carroll, our brother, he's um, one of the other Aboriginal ambassadors. You know, a lot of their programs is to, you know, make sure that our mob are getting tested and um, getting the message out to communities, um, you know, with, you know, why we need to get our bubs and that checked. But, you know, I love it. I love being a part of that, um, that role. Do you think that you've passed on your talent and culture, you know, um, the Donovan, you know, family talent onto your kids? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, these girls were outstage me at, at any moment. Like, I reckon it's pretty hard at gigs actually because they sound check, they're all over me. Like, they want to be on the stage with me. It's fighting them at the gig time. Like, it's like, what do I do? I want them around the gig because they need to, you know, that's another, it, you know, they need to learn that, you know, um, about that scene because that, that's what mum does. But at the same time, it's like, oh, geez, you know, um, should I make sure they're home? But lucky, you know, festival, good festivals and day festivals, they can be a part of that. So, Emma, what can we expect from you in the future? I guess more um, recordings, uh, more gigs, <laughs> playing as much as I can. Collaborated again with the mob from Spinifex Gum, uh, Felix and Ollie. Um, are part of a second album. So yeah, hopefully more touring with Spinifex Gum, the Marley Choir. There's some recordings that I've done for ABC and some kids songs. And more recently, yeah, it was part of a Christmas album with Paul Kelly. I did um, a really beautiful um, song called The Virgin Mary um, on his album, Christmas album. So we're touring that like, yeah, between now and the end of the year. Just a solo album as well and looking forward to writing and recording that, get that out, you know, by this time next year. Fantastic. Well, <laughs> Emma Donovan, it's been a pleasure as always to, to see you and, and chat with you and thank you so much for um, sharing your story with us. Uh, thanks, Carla. Anytime and, th and thank you so much for sharing my story and, and, and having us. 
And that was the lovely Emma Donovan, and she was speaking there to Living Black presenter Carla Grant. And you can watch the full episode of the Living Black program on SBS On Demand. Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 